Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm going to choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. Hello and welcome back to another episode. I am with the one, the only, Mr. Brendan Kumarasamy, who news just got in. He's going to be coming to visit my hometown of Los Angeles in just a month from now. So for anyone uh, wondering when Billy and this extraordinary human will actually meet, it will be in 30 days, approximately. I think the 23rd, you're going to come into town. So there's two things you hear. You hear, just say yes, just say yes, just say yes. And then you also hear, keep saying no. So I think an argument could be made for either one of those two things. But today we're going to talk about the magic of saying no and why we should at least consider how saying no can positively impact our lives. And so as we talked prior to jumping on this, we talked about some of the reasons why saying no is so important. So let's start with why we think it is magical and why it actually can help us reach the goals and reach the things that we want to achieve in our lives. Yeah, absolutely, Billy. Always great to see your handsome face. Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, the way I think about it and what I love about what you shared is the the mix between the power of saying yes and the power of saying no. I thought that was a super great observation because you hear the, both camps, right? One side of the aisle is like every opportunity, you just got to bite your teeth into it. Just bite it, just bite it. And the other tape is like Warren Buffett who goes, well, the only thing that's made me successful in life was saying no to 99% of people and things. So who do we listen to? How do we approach this? There's a lot of confusion. So here's a good way of remediating or mediating both of those perspectives. And the answer is this. Saying no or the art of saying no is like going to the gym, especially when you do weights. Okay, as you can see, I don't do weights a lot, but hear me out for a second. So when you start, you work on small little weights, right? You're picking that up. That's what I got over there, actually. It's very small. And then over time, as you get better, you can take bigger and bigger weights. So why is the analogy important? The analogy is important because when you get started, you're right. Many of the times you do have to say yes. You have to take opportunities. I'm still at that place too. I'm still in that season where I'm t- saying yes to a lot of things. But what we're practicing, Billy, is for the future version of ourselves in four years, in five years. But here's the thing. It's kind of like a ladder. As you become more uh, successful in life, as you take on bigger and bigger weights, it becomes harder to lift heavier things at the gym. In the same way, it's harder to say no because a lot more people are asking you 
to do something. So the trick here, it's not a black and white answer that a lot of the gurus are saying, say no all the time, say yes all the time, but rather regardless where you're at in the spectrum, whether you're just getting started, you already have a lot of success, you need to start practicing saying no like a muscle. That means saying no to the one or two things that you know don't make sense for who you are. You know don't make sense that you're just doing to people, please. You need to start getting into that habit or else that's going to cost you. It's like a debt. You're going to pay for it now or you're going to pay for it later. So make a choice. Yeah. You know, you talk about people pleasing. I think a lot of us, myself included, can relate to this reality that we want to make other people around us happy. And actually, when we talk about the five regrets of the dying, which we've talked about a couple of times now, one of them is people, and I'm paraphrasing, but people live their lives for other people, not for themselves. Correct. And I don't know why this is. Maybe we could dissect why that is. But sometimes when we know the why behind something, we're more in tune, we're more aware, and we're able to make the necessary shift. So let's start there. Why do you think human beings as a default, or at least a lot of human beings as a default, want to please other people? And how can we deactivate that default mode that we fall into? Ooh, the second part of the question is much harder than the first. So let's tackle the first one. <laughs> so the first one, I wish there's an off switch. There's a way around it, but Let's cover the first piece. So the first piece is the understanding piece, which is why do most of us live to the expectation of other people? Because you're right, in Bronnie's book, it's actually the number one regret out of the five. So one, two, three, five, it's number one on the list. And the reason is simple. Our brain is not wired for happiness. It is wired for survival. So let's say 100,000 years ago, and don't quote me on the years for those of you historians in the room, which I don't imagine as many of you on LinkedIn, but anyways, hear me out. Actually, I'm in a historian group, so this is probably 90%. In that case, I apologize to all of my historians out there. Anyways, okay, like if you didn't follow the tribe, Billy, if you didn't follow the group, you know this, if you didn't follow, you would die, right? There's like tigers and dinosaurs and crazy stuff going on, and it wasn't safe to be out there. So if somebody's telling you not to eat the berries... They know what they're talking about. Donate the berries, you'll die. Right? So that's the key. So because of that, the focus on survival, it's only a very recent phenomenon, Billy, probably in the last thousand, two thousand years, a few thousands of years, where our standard of living as human beings has increased so much, where survivability for most of us, not everyone, of course, but for most of us, it's a non-issue. But our brain is still the same. Our brain is still wired for survival. So what is the best way to survive? To cooperate, to live up to the expectations of other people, to listen what other people tell you to do, whether you agree with it or not. So that's the reason why. Interesting. It's a fascinating thing to dissect. And I love looking at innate characteristics and qualities that have been a part of our species for, for as long as we can even fathom, right? And regardless of what the number is, if it's 200,000 years or whatever it may be, we have survived, frankly, out-survived other species. And through that, we've learned to adapt. We've learned to evolve. We've learned to listen to other people. We're here, right? The reason that everyone who's tuning in right now, either listening live or listening to this as a podcast, the reason why you're here is because the people before you made some right decisions. And so, you know, we talk about followership and followership boils down to the ability to connect with other people in a way to where they want to follow you. And really that's the cornerstone of leadership. You're not a leader if no one's following you. 
And so when I was training leadership development at Solar City, we, we were looking for characteristics of followership. And we found this amazing video. You could probably find it on YouTube, but it talked about two principles. One is people follow people who they trust will make the right decision. And two, they follow people who they have positive interactions with. And so I think it's important to remember that when we're going through life, you know, we're, we're going to be around people who we want to follow and we want to have them take the lead and we want them to take the lead because we trust they're going to make the right decision, right? They're going to take me out of harm's way. Or we've had a positive interaction to where we trust that person and we feel a connection to that person. So now when we tie this back to the topic here, we also feel almost this duty or obligation to say yes to so many things because we want to people please. So let's dissect how we go about turning off this natural tendency to say yes and instead maybe have some kind of framework that will allow us to say no. What's that framework? Absolutely. So, and great points, Billy, as well. I love the idea of fellowship. So, so the way that I think about it is we always start with the clarity. Most people are saying yes to things they shouldn't because they're not super clear. Part of it, not always, but a large part of it is because they're not 100% sure where they're going to be next year, how they're going to be spending their time, where they should be prioritizing. So my first ask for everyone is figure out who you want to be and what you want to achieve. And focus is key here. You want to make a list, three to five priorities that are the most important. And if I was you, I would rank them by order of importance. For me, I call. I actually came up with this yesterday, so it's a fresh insight for you, Billy. Ooh, hot off the press. I call it the three C's. Right. So these are the three things that I basically do in life, primarily, like 90, 95% of my time. Conversations, coaching, and content creation. Conversations, coaching, content creation. Anything out of those three things probably won't really do much of. Do I have fun? Do I go out there and uh, go skydiving? I mean, not really. I'm scared to death of that stuff. But (laughs) would I go into LA and have a conversation with Billy? Have a conversation with some ramen? Absolutely. So conversation, coaching, content creation. I'm glad you brought ramen in. I was a little worried that wasn't going to be part of it. But as long as it's part of the conversation. It's definitely part of the conversation. You're good. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing, right? We need some clarity on where we want to be. So for everyone, make a list of 20 to 25 bucket things that you want to achieve in your life. Okay, just write a bunch of stuff. This is called Warren Buffett's focus framework. We don't know if Warren actually came up with this, but he always gets quoted. So let's just quote him for the sake of it. And then once you make that list, circle the three to five things that you can't live without, that you absolutely need to accomplish in your life. And then the other 20 things, throw them in the garbage and only focus on those three to five things. That's the first step. And then the next step is once you have those three to five things, you want to start taking all of the decisions that you have to say yes or no to and categorize them into three key areas. Yes, maybes, and nos. So yeses are 100%, it's aligned to the three to five priorities. So for example, I've been stalling to meet Billy for like a year, okay? He's been asking me to come. I have the money to come. It's not like a financial thing. It was more just, ugh, like, uh, coming to like go see Billy just to have fun didn't make sense to me. So I kept saying maybe, not no, because I obviously want to see Billy. He's amazing. But it was, it was always a maybe. But then when I got asked to, to go to these conferences, and I know for sure I'll sign a few clients if I go there, 
it made perfect sense. And then Billy suggested a second conference too, so I get to hit two conferences in one week. So it's absolutely perfect. So it went from a maybe to a hard yes. So notice how when we categorize different ideas into yeses, maybes, and nos, it helps us really make better decisions based on our priorities. And the last thing I'll throw it back to you is the yeses and the nos are easier to filter through. So the yes, 100% aligned, me going to LA makes perfect sense for the business and perfect sense for my happiness because I get to the Billy. Maybes are challenging. We'll go through that a bit later. And no's are really things that you're 100% sure don't align with you and don't bring you that much happiness. So what I would encourage all of you to do is really ask yourself the question, why am I saying yes to some of these no's? And really focus on saying no to the ones that are in that category. And then we could talk about the maybes right after. Brilliant, as always. So what if people saying yes was more about concerns with how the other person would take a no rather than the need to please? Interesting point. What are your thoughts? My thoughts alone, and always great to hear from you as well, thanks for the question, is the way I see it is we need to audit ourselves. We are the only person that we can control in our lives, right? So I always bring it back to if we're saying yes because we're fearful of the way that somebody else would take a no, then we need to language it in a way that still protects our time. Because if we start doing that too much, the three to five things in our list that we want to do in our lives, they won't happen. So it's important for us to realize that. But the other piece I would add is just because you're saying no, doesn't mean you need to say it in a harsh way. Like You don't have to go up to those people and go, no, are you kidding? That's never going to happen. Like You don't have to say it like that. You could say something like, hey, John, I really, really appreciate you asking me. And it really means a lot to me. I just have a lot on my plate right now. But if there's anything else I can do to support you, let me know. But I, I can't do this right now, unfortunately. Not that bad. Yeah, it is. There is a finesse and a way we can say no. There's an art, as you said earlier, use this framework. There's an art to saying no. And I think we, I think instinctually don't want to hurt people's feelings. So I think it's a great point that Alone brought up that we don't want people to feel bad or to take it in the wrong way. I do think if people understand the why and they believe that you're being genuine and you are being genuine, they're a lot more likely to respond in a positive way. It's funny too, because I think back, you, you brought up a great example of you coming to visit me. I'll give another example, which is when we were doing Clubhouse, I made the suggestion, hey, let's do a podcast together. And you politely declined. And flash forward, now here we're doing these podcasts it made sense. It made sense to you because now it's on the LinkedIn platform. It made sense for what you want to do here on LinkedIn. It's kind of like the same thing. It's a win-win. So it's almost like multitasking or you know, the expression, you kill two birds with one stone. Now you're doing two things. You're practicing, having conversations, speaking, doing your thought leadership. You're on LinkedIn. You're growing your network. You're having the chance to talk with a friend. You're helping a friend. Like you're doing, there's just so many, there's a lot more wins than just a single win. And I think that goes into the decision-making process. So let's talk a little bit about that because I think a lot of us, myself included, I'll, I'll be at the front of the line. We struggle knowing what to say no to and what to say yes to. And you talked about the clarity piece. What else is involved? Because I do admire your, you seem to have a very good filter that allows you to get to that clarity moment quickly. So where are people going wrong and what can we do to get 
that clarity more on point. Absolutely, Billy. And what I would say is I'm not perfect either at this. Definitely, I would say better than the average. So let's go with that. But I appreciate it. I was just going to say that you're better than most, man. Yeah, I appreciate it, brother. Yep. I'll give you a great example. You just talked about the podcast, but I'm always up front. I honestly believe that I should have said yes the first time you asked now. Because there's a lot of things that I see from doing the show that I did not realize from a value perspective that are really helpful. And one of those is you said you're learning from me. I'm learning a lot more from you, actually. And this, and th- I don't say that just to toot your horn. It's because the questions you're asking me is forcing me to keep pushing my thought leadership in a way that literally no other human being can do in the world, literally. Because you've asked me so many questions as one person, you know so much about me. So because of that, it's actually super beneficial. So even if the thing gets no downloads, I'll actually keep doing this forever because of the curiosity. But I didn't calculate that the first time you asked me the question because my framework is off. I'll give you another thought on this, and then we'll dive into some ways in how I get clarity, is Gary Vaynerchuk. So somebody asked Gary V uh, a few weeks ago. I was watching an Instagram reel. It was so good, actually. One of Gary V's highlights. And he asked Gary, what made you say yes to the NFT project when everyone else said no? Like, what was it about the NFTs that made you say yes and execute in such an aggressive way, by the way? Like, doing a whole conference, like... When he has so many things on his plate. And what Gary Vee said really fascinated me. He says, when other people say no, I say maybe. And I test out the maybe. And most of the times, the maybe will become a no. But I'll spend a little bit of time, not a lot, a little bit of time testing the maybe to see if it's a yes or no. Most of the time, it's going to be no. But one of the times, whether it's TikTok, right, LinkedIn Organic, VR or V friends, right? As NFT project, it becomes a yes. But when it becomes a yes, it becomes a colossal yes. Like he wins big, but he fails on 15 other things. And I feel there's a lot we can learn from that. So going back to the yeses and the nos, those are easy, right? That's the easy part. But then we get to the challenging part, which is the maybes. How do we filter through these? And there's no perfect answer. But what I would say is that the frame of mind that you want to have is what is the end goal, the end objective. And also, Jeff Bezos has a great framework on this called the regret minimization framework. If I was 85 years old on my rocking chair, what would I regret the most not doing? And I really want us to pay attention to this question because a lot of people will misunderstand that. They'll go, oh, well, I'll regret doing everything. So I guess I'll do everything. Uh Uh-uh. Slow down. Let's slow down here. Regret minimization framework, from my perspective, means fully completing the idea. Okay, so let's draw this nuance because I think it's really important. So for me at 85, Billy, it's not about did I do Master Talk, yes or no, because I'm doing Master Talk. And I could say yes to a bunch of things right now and still do Master Talk. That's not what I'm thinking about at 85. I'm thinking about did I become the greatest communication coach that ever lived? Meaning, did I create a world? where billions of people could have access to free communication tools. So when I die and it's my turn to go, I can die in peace knowing that the next seven-year-old girl in Cambodia has access to me and my tools and I probably some AI of me at that point. And it's that piece that I'll regret. So for that version of Brendan, I have to say no to most things. It's not a binary thing, yes or no of doing the thing, but rather to what extent are we doing the thing? Let me give another example. Gary Vaynerchuk. 
the reason, in my opinion, this is a question I have to ask him when I meet him in person, but the reason I believe Gary V said yes to the NFT took it so seriously is because I know, I know he can buy the Jets just off V friends. He already made $90 million off his NFT project. He did the math. He realized no other content creator would go this far. And in five to 10 years, he'll build up the IP and buy the New York Jets just based on VFriends, just through that NFT project alone. So going back to Gary V, remember, the biggest thing Gary V will regret at 85 in his rocking chair is not buying the New York Jets. That's one of the top things on the list. But not just like buying a stake, like owning the whole damn thing and winning a Super Bowl. So meaning... That when he goes back today, sorry, I'm going on a little tangent here because I feel there's a lot of details here. So when he goes back to today, he's thinking, okay, crap, uh, I'm saying maybe, but I have to say yes because I, I can see myself making $3 billion from this thing in 10, 15 years. Hope that makes sense. Ask me follow up though. And I think there's a several important things in there. One is being okay with taking the time to not make a too quick of a decision, which may mean something's going to fall into the maybe bucket that could go either to a hard no or a full body yes. And you're going to make the decision after you've determined, is this something that I'm going to regret not doing? In the example of Gary V, not putting himself in position to be not just an owner of the Jets in part, but a full owner of the Jets, a Super Bowl winning owner of the Jets, And he had to ask himself, could this put me in that position? So I think that's a really important point. The other thing, and I can't wait for the hologram Brendan Kumarasamy to arrive. Whenever that arrives, then you could just, in perpetuity, empower, inspire, and help people communicate forever, right? And so that's exciting. But I think the point there is that you know very clearly what you're meant to do, what your purpose is, and all decisions really point back to that. And so when we think about major influencers like a Gary Vee or Tony Robbins or Tim Ferriss or Seth Godin or Lewis Howes or all the people that we've talked about, let's do a quick lightning round. So the people I just named, you could pick one or two of them. And I want to talk a little bit about how you think, let's use some examples. Let's, let's decode this a little bit. And you could choose somebody else. Let's choose two or three people. How do you think they determine what they say yes and no to? Because there's some people who are famous. Like you mentioned Warren Buffett. They're famous for saying no. But then there's some people that on the outside, they're famous for saying yes. Gary Vee being one of them. I'm sure he said no to a lot too. But let's figure out what lens people are looking through and how they're making that decision. See, this is why doing a podcast with you is so next level because you always ask the question that literally no one else thinks of. Such a great question that I've never considered. So let's roll with it. But I have the answers. So let's start with Lewis, right? So Lewis is fascinating because his mission is to impact 100 million lives weekly. And I actually have a specific story on this. So it was two, three years ago, I was listening to one of his podcasts with a guy named Rory Vaden. And they were talking on the show about what is Lewis's big dream now? So at this point, the guy's doing multiple seven, probably eight figures in his business, very high margin, right? He's a very good lifestyle. And what Rory was doing with him was asking him, what is the end game for you? And of course, now we know that his end game is to become the next Larry King. But then Rory asked him an interesting question. He said, Lewis, you know, you've had so much success with your podcast. Have you ever put any money towards advertising the podcast? Like in ads and Facebook ads or anything? 
And Lewis just looked at Rory and said, not even a single dime. And then Rory said, well, if that's the goal, how are you spending your time? So they went through all of the activities that Lewis was doing. And there was one program in particular that Lewis loved doing. It's his mastermind. It's like a 50, 60K program. Some of the smartest people in the world that Rory is a part of, they were all getting crazy results in that mastermind. It was making him a boatload of money. And Lewis made the very difficult decision of pausing that mastermind. He said, we're done with the mastermind. I'm giving up this multiple seven-figure revenue stream so I can go all in on the podcast. So how does he make a decision to say no to something that's already making him millions of dollars a year? By the way, he even sent the podcast that he could easily charge $100,000 now and people would all sign up for it. So he's literally giving it three, four mil so a year. So why is he saying no? He's saying no because he wants to put all of his energy to become the best podcaster in the world, the best interview in the world. But the caveat I want to add here is that wasn't the case at the beginning of his career. So in his early to mid-20s, he was focused on just doing a bunch of different projects until he landed on webinars, and he realized that it was super profitable. He started making a bunch of money, and then he started saying yes to a bunch of things until he found the school of greatness, and he started narrowing his focus. So what's the lesson from Lewis? The lesson is this, Billy. You don't have to start with a narrow focus, but you definitely want to narrow in that focus as you become more successful. So Lewis is a good example of both. He said yes for most of his career. And now, just recently in the last two, three years, he's only making decisions that are moving the podcast forward to where he wants to go. It's interesting. I want to zero in on something because I want to make sure that, that it's clear. I think it's a really strong point, but I don't want people to misunderstand because there are some arguments to be made for niching down, narrowing down, and then expanding out from there. And this is a nuance uh, that's different, which is he's narrowing his focus after he was already in small niches before, uh, but he's narrowing his focus on what he's focused on. So maybe just describe that difference so that somebody doesn't get the wrong thinking in terms of what you just said. Thanks for that follow-up. So just to be specific for people, so Lewis was trying a bunch of different things, but he was still very focused. He was into LinkedIn training primarily and webinars. That was mostly where both of his income streams came from. And then that focus transitioned from those two pieces to starting the podcast and building a business around the podcast, which is, you know, his courses, all that stuff. But what happened later in life, Billy, is those courses were taking time away from his big mission. And he realized that School of Greatness is actually a media business not a course creation business. So for him to become that media mogul and to spend all of his time being like the next Oprah, he had to start saying no to 90, 95% and cut all of the other revenue streams so he can focus on that one thing. So that's more of the, the context there. Thank you for that. You're an advisor to me. And one of the things you keep beating the drum and telling me is that all my focus should be on building my agency, my production company, to be, you know, a seven-figure company, right? So, which we should hit in the in the near future. But the point being is you keep telling me that as a friend because you know that that should be what informs my decisions on what I'm doing. That's the clarity piece. So it's like Potify, my business is started last year in the uh, beginning of last year and I would assume sometime in the, within the next 12 months we're going to hit that initial goal. 
And we won't hit it if I am doing 30 other things at a lower level, right? So I have to give that so much of my focus, so much of my attention, and that informs my decision. So, but I do want to hear about one other, let's case study, one case study from a, a famous person that maybe we've talked about or maybe not, who's done something that we can pick apart and say, this person uses this, determine if they say yes or no to something. Absolutely, Billy. And I just want to add another layer to what you said. So to your point, so it becomes super practical for the audience, is there's different stages of life. If we're just lost, we don't know what we want to do in life. Trying a bunch of different things, experimenting makes sense. But if you start to work on something, you start getting results and it's working, you need to put all of your energy into that until you get a massive W a massive win, however you define that win. And the reason is because you need to learn, and not you as in Billy, but all of us, is we need to learn what it takes to bring one focus project to completion. And that W gives you permission to then work on a bunch of different ideas. So let's say we take somebody like Gary Vee. Yeah, sure. Honestly, if I was talking to Gary Vee, I could cut a lot of holes in his logic. And that's no offense to him. I'm a big fan of the guy in the sense that he always says, try a bunch of stuff, but he doesn't nuance that enough. So what I think he means is you try a bunch of things, but once you figure out what the thing is, you scale it up until a level where you have enough capital or enough resources that you can have teams work on multiple ideas for you. So there's a big nuance there. Because if you go straight to a level that you're not ready for, you won't be able to do well and all of the balls will fall and all the balls will break. Whereas what, what happened with Gary, and he says this super well, he just doesn't draw the nuance. The first two years of Raider Media, he was just building Vayner Media. He wasn't garage sailing. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, sure. Now he could do it now. He's worth like hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, he can do whatever he wants on the weekend. But in the, the moment where he's like renting out some other guy's agency's office, he's got no money. He, his, he just exited his wine business. His dad gave him no equity. He has zero dollars in his bank account. Yeah, he's building VaynerMedia. He's not going, oh, Tuesday, should I build a bakery? And then Wednesday, should I eat pistachio? It's like, no, like, okay, you can still eat pistachio. But yeah, no. Yeah, it's like I got some pistachios here. But anyways... That's the thing, right, is he's building Vayner, but because Gary Vee is an exceptional entrepreneur, he built it to multiple seven and eight figures super, super quickly because of all of his relationships and just his aggression in business development and building teams. He was already a purebred entrepreneur. But then when he got after, when he passed 10 million, okay, now, now Gary Vee made it, he has the capital, and now he can start to play around with different ideas and tactics. But this is something I want to push here, Billy. He earned that right. Right. He earned it. Right. It's not just he just walked up and started, let me just do 10 different ideas. So that's the difference here. Yeah. And, and it reminds me of this quote. Uh, I'm going to read it here. I have a cartoon coming out with this quote. It's from Will Smith. Whatever your dream is, every extra penny you have needs to be going to that. I'll expand it and I'll make it even more clear. Whenever you get clear on what is most important to you, whenever you get clarity, on what you absolutely do not want to regret not doing, right? Whatever you get clear on that, it's not just every penny. It's every bit of time that you, I mean, not every bit. You can have some things that you do unrelated, but the majority of your time should be going toward that. And Brendan would say every bit of your time. But point being is you got to get that clarity piece and then time and which is a form of you know currency and actual currency needs to be going towards meeting that 
goal, that end vision where you want, where you want to be. Okay. As we round this thing out, man, what haven't we yet talked about? What's something that we could give? Cause we've gotten given a, a few frameworks, some really good nuggets. And I love that you, you talked about your three C's, right? The conversations, coaching, and what was the third C? Conversation, coaching, content creation. And content creation. So those are the three things you're focused on, which is, I think it's super helpful because it could kind of give others ideas for what they could start to think about. What are those three activities that I'm doing? So what haven't we yet talked about that we can bring this home with? Absolutely, brother. Let's kind of simplify this as a bullet list. These are the three practical things to do. So number one is practice saying no more often to the small things. Because if you can't say no to the small things, you won't be able to say no to the big things. Because as you become more successful, the things you need to say no to are a lot harder to say no to. They're $65,000 speaking engagements. Okay, They're big, big, big podcast opportunities. Not to say you shouldn't take those, but you know what I mean? They're trips to a villa with a bunch of all these celebrities, whatever the goal is. As you become more successful, the, the no's Okay, or the asks rather become much more seductive, way more seductive. So practice saying no today so that you can build the muscle to say the bigger no's tomorrow. Okay. That would be the first one. I know you you follow a YouTuber. I'm trying to blank on the name, but you'll know the name. He talks a lot about the billionaires and, and things of that nature. I know he talked about this at some point, and, and I can't remember exactly what he said, but maybe you you do. Do you know who I'm talking about? Oh, Alex Hormozzi. You're talking about yeah, Alex Hormozzi. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He, he talks about the importance of saying no. If he were here having a conversation with us right now, what would he tell us? He would say one fat paycheck is bigger than two anythings. A lot of business owners come up to Alex and they go, well, well Alex, two paychecks are bigger than one or better than one. He always goes, no, one fat paycheck is bigger than any amount of checks that you can have in your envelope. And that's what Alex would really focus his conversation around is that all of the smartest people in life, they're really focused once they figure out what that thing is and they sacrifice a lot of things outside of it so that they can achieve that goal. And Alex is a great example of this, right? He, once he figured out, by the way, in his mid twenties, he was lost. He wasn't sure. And he says that publicly. I wasn't sure what I was doing. I was building gyms, all that stuff. But then when he had the idea for gym launch to license the learnings on how to scale gyms and gym owners and their businesses and teach that when that was his focus, he spent his like the next five, seven years just focused on making that really, really successful. And he scaled so quickly. Like he was like one year, he was doing like $200,000 a year. The next year he was doing like a million dollars a month. Like it was absolutely nuts how quickly he scaled. But yeah, that's the point. And I remember, I don't remember what the title is, but I'll look for the title and I'll put a link in the comments. But you sent me a, a video where you're like, you have to watch this video. It's probably in our like Facebook Messenger thread. And I think the through line was very much in line with the conversation we're having today, which is what separates the uber successful, the remarkable success stories from, from those who don't have those stories. And all too often, it's the ability to say no. It's the ability to Give yourself permission to not do what is so alluring and attractive, so appealing. You want to do it. Maybe you want to please the other person. Maybe you don't want to hurt their feelings, but maybe you actually want to do it. So it hurts a little bit. It's okay to say no. It's okay that you 
don't do that. So that you can do something else that will serve your greater mission. Obviously, it starts with knowing exactly what that mission is and getting super, super clear on that. Thanks, Brendan, for this one. If you have not yet checked out Master Talk, go to YouTube right now, type Master Talk, and then hit subscribe so you can check out all of Brendan's amazing work. And then if you haven't yet, subscribe to Inside Out. Go to your favorite podcast platform, type in Inside Out. You'll get all the episodes from Brendan and I, plus all my interviews from a ton of different guests who've done some incredible things. And we're happy that you're here with us. And we appreciate all the great comments, all the great insights. Uh, Until next time, make it a great one. We'll talk to you guys all very, very soon. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.